Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Man, that was Branson good right there, wasn't it, man? Tammy, that was something else. Merry Christmas, everybody. Now, I believe you made one of the best decisions you're going to make this Christmas by being right here, right now. So thanks for coming. Man, the reason why this is the best decision you're going to make is because it may be the only time this Christmas season that you slow down long enough just to think about the reason, to think about the meaning. So let's seize the moment together. Let's make the most of this moment. Deal? Say deal. Deal. You know, robbers are on the loose. Been reading the news? They, uh, your packages and deliveries and gifts may make it out alive, but uh, I got a question this weekend. What about your joy? Has your joy been stolen from you this Christmas? This is a season of joy. The word joy, eight times in the accounts, the Christmas story found in the Gospels, eight times. It's why we say Merry Christmas, not Scary Christmas. It's fun. It's a festival. It's a birthday party, all right? This is, it's a celebration, this is why seeing Christmas through the eyes of kids is so much fun. We, lo- we love to do it. There's just a sense of anticipation and, and joy. Our family went through Christmas in the park at, at Longview the other night with those. Lauren and I and our almost two-year-old. And we get into the display and moving slow. I took Landry out of the car seat and he's sitting up there in the driver's seat with me. And he's just loving and just seeing through the joy. And then I looked around and realized this is the most dangerous road in Kansas City because it's all two-year-olds behind the wheel. And so, <laughs> but it was just fun because of his joy. And, and Christmas, you know, just to, we love it when they're overjoyed when they get a gift. You know, that's sort of our favorite part. I found this clip of just joy erupting uh, in a child and his gift. What's are you next? Yeah. What? Oh, to wear. Things are cool. You know wear. You might want to put this. Oh, my love. 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 Oh, my you know just overjoyed you know clearly kids have no problem expressing joy in a variety of ways and but you know something happens as we get older we have a hard time with joy you know it we have it as a kid and then it it disappears as an adult but then it comes back when we're old like really old you know we have it again It's like this inverted bell curve of joy, and there it is, and there it is. But what happens as an adult? I mean, is it stolen from us? Does it disappear? I mean, we even become cynical of those who are just a little too joyful. We'll even say, well, they're naive. Didn't they watch the news this morning? 
they're, they're in denial about what's going on in the world and, and their life. But we'll say something's wrong with them and we, we give up on joy. And then we see the simplicity of joy in kids and, and we try to earn joy. We try to get it back and we'll buy stuff and, and we'll do stuff and we'll achieve more and get more. And we try to earn our way to joy. But it fades because all those things are temporary. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word joy, um, but do you realize joy is far more than just an emotion? You know the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is external. Okay, it's based on what's happening around you. Joy is internal. It's an internal character and perspective. Happiness is based on chance. I may be happy today, maybe not. It's happenstance. Joy is based on a choice. Happiness is rooted in circumstance. So when the things in your life around you are going well, you're happy. But joy is rooted in Jesus. Happiness is not a bad thing, but joy is deeper. And you can be joyful, you can be joyful even in the middle of grief. You can be joyful even in the middle of pain. You can be joyful even in the middle of disappointment. Even in the middle of a depressing situation. Not in your notes, but I just love this definition of joy from Kay Warren's book, Choose Joy. She says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of joy this Christmas? If we had that kind of joy all the time, yeah? Well, why don't we? It's because there are joy robbers. And and we get so concerned, especially in the Christmas time, protecting our stuff. Protecting our things. Making sure our deliveries aren't stolen off our front porch. Making sure, you know, we get the warranty plan and and everything makes it out alive. We're careful with the gifts. We protect our stuff. Are you protecting your joy? Are you guarding your joy? Now, if you want to guard your joy, if you want to restore your joy, the first thing you have to do is is know what tries to steal it. There are three things I want to talk about this Christmas that try to steal your joy. Joy, three emotions that are competing for your joy. This is very personal to me. I'm dealing with these three things this Christmas. So we're going to work on these together, okay? You might write this down. Here's the first thing. The number one thing that robs your joy out of your life is anxiety. When you get stressed out, when you're tense, when you're scared, when you're overwhelmed, when you're frightened, you cannot be joyful and fearful at the same time. You can't. Now, the first Christmas was incredibly anxiety-producing for everyone involved. Mary was a teenager uh, because in those days, uh, you get married, have kids very young because you're dying by the time you're age 30 or 40. And she's young, she's engaged to be married to this guy. And it's a, a virgin birth. How do you explain that to your family and friends? She's single, she's in this little town. I mean, just imagine the gossip about this girl and the scandal. And God's the father. Nobody's going to believe that. Then just a few days before she gives birth, In her ninth month of pregnancy, a couple days before she gives birth, she has to take a two or three day trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem to go there for a census. I mean, it's a wonder Mary's water didn't break on the way, right? 
And then, and then she goes to Bethlehem and all the rooms are booked. She has to deliver this baby with no midwife, no doctor. This is incredibly anxiety producing. But here's the choice Mary had to make in the midst of all those circumstances. Here's the choice she made. When Mary was afraid, she chose to trust God and accept his plan. She chose to trust God and accept his plan. Then she's told that, that this baby is the son of God and she's going to raise a perfect child. I mean, this all adds up to stress. This is why in the first story of Christmas, the word afraid is used seven times. We sanitize the Christmas story. People were afraid. People were full of anxiety. An angel shows up and then even that, I mean, but they say, no, 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 don't be afraid. Or you're going to miss the joy of what's happening here. You're going to miss these promises fulfilled. Why? Because anxiety robs your joy. Now the story of Mary is found in the book of Luke. Let's start in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Uh, She's much, much older than Mary. She's an elderly woman who's never had any children. And she has a miraculous pregnancy. Not a virgin pregnancy or a virgin birth, but miraculous And she's carrying who will become John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. These words here, greatly troubled. She wondered, she's furiously thinking. And you could translate those words as distressed and disturbed. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now what the angel says next makes her even more anxious. She says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary asks an obvious question and the angel's answer makes her even more anxious. She says, verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I can just see uh, Mary. Can uh, can we talk about this overshadow thing a little bit more? What's that going to mean? So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God, no word from God will ever fail. Now, given all of what I've just read, if you were Mary, you would be anxious too. You'd be afraid too. But let's just pause here and let me ask you a question. What are you anxious about this Christmas? What's got you nervous? What's got you grumpy? What's got you worried? What are you anxious about? I don't know what you're worried about or have anxiety about, but I know the antidote. Because it's the same antidote Mary had. You've got to trust God and accept his plan. You take everything you're worried about and put it in the hands of God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Uh, 
she says, I'm willing to accept whatever God has for my life. I serve him, and I'm willing to accept whatever he has for my life. Have you ever said that to God? At some point in your life, you've got to come and make the merry decision. And you've got to say, I don't get it all, but I'm going to trust God. He made me, he loves me, and I'm going to accept his plan even though I don't understand it. And until you do that, you're not going to have lasting joy in your life. What's the result of saying, God, I'm going to trust you completely? The result is always joy. You know, after Mary got with Elizabeth, she sings a song of joy. Here's the first line of the song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So, what's your soul magnifying this Christmas? What are you magnifying? Your anxiety? Your worry? Are you magnifying a fear where... You're spending Christmas dress rehearsing this fear that you have, this worry, and how if it comes to be, what will happen? Or are you magnifying your king? Where is your spirit? Where does your spirit rejoice? Where does your spirit rejoice today? The second thief in your life, you might write this down, is resentment. When you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, Everybody in this room has been wounded. Our rebellion, our sin against God causes us to hurt each other. And we hurt each other all the time. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But you have been hurt by others and you have hurt other people. And as a result, we're all wounded. We're all wounded. And the Bible says that Joseph and Mary, they were betrothed to each other. And that's an old word that we don't use much anymore because there's a lot of significance to it. It means more than simply just an engagement. A betrothal was a legal contract that you would sign a year in advance of your wedding day. And during that time, you're not to have intimate relations. You're not actually married yet, but you're bound together. In fact, if you broke that contract, the only way you could get out of a betrothal was actually to do a divorce. And Joseph's upset. He doesn't see the whole picture yet. He thinks his wife-to-be here has been unfaithful to him. But he did not seek to retaliate. In fact, Scripture says that he showed her grace. Here's the second truth. You need to write this down. It's a choice you're going to have to make this Christmas with the hurts in your life. When Joseph was hurt, he chose to offer grace and let it go. Now think about this. Mary is struggling with fear at the first Christmas, and Joseph is struggling with anger. Mary's struggling with fear. Joseph is struggling with anger. Man, as a pastor, I see this time after time after time. One spouse dealing with fear, the other spouse dealing with anger. One spouse dealing with fear, the other spouse dealing with anger. Yet Joseph offers grace. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's not going to rub it in. He doesn't publicly embarrass her. He's not trying to shame her. He just says, okay, we're going to call off this wedding. And he's doing the best he can. 
Now let me ask you a question. What are you doing with the hurt in your life? Are you still hanging on to a hurt, really? You need to understand that resentment, resentment is the most useless emotion on planet Earth. It does nothing except make you miserable. Resentment will never change the past. It'll never take away the hurt. It'll, bitterness will never make you better. It only makes you feel worse. We think that somehow if I hold on to this hurt, that I'm getting even with them. That if I hold on to this hurt, I, I'm retaliating. That's revenge in some way. But while I'm over here saying, oh, this is what they did to me, they don't care they're at the mall having a Cinnabon. It's only making me miserable. It's not affecting them. Now listen very closely. As your pastor, as your spiritual coach, somebody who cares about you, some of you have hurt in your life. We all have hurt in our life. And it may be an extreme thing. Maybe it happened six months ago, six years ago, decades ago. But they can't hurt you anymore. They can't hurt you anymore without your permission. And every time you rehearse it and resent it and get bitter over it, you let them hurt you again. Let it go. You want to get really deep this Christmas? You want a deep message? Let it go. You're not going to change anything holding on to the hurt. Maybe you say, that they don't deserve my forgiveness. Of course they don't deserve it. No one deserves it. You forgive people because you don't want to hold on to the pain anymore. You forgive people, not for their sake, as much as for your own sake. Now fortunately, Joseph, with Joseph, God doesn't keep him in the dark forever. Verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means that the Lord is the Savior. Now, because Joseph did not get bitter, God blessed him in an incredible way. He gets to be part of the Christmas story. He gets to raise the Son of God. You want to get bitter or you want to be blessed? You get to decide what you want in your life. You want to choose joy or choose resentment? Maybe you say, Ryland, I do not have the strength to forgive that person. I, I just can't do it. I don't have the strength. And that's why you need a Savior. That's why you need the power of the cross in your life. That's why you need grace to fill your life because it empowers you to forgive other people and let it go because you can't do it on your own. Scripture says the joy of the Lord can be your strength and the joy of the Lord can be your strength to forgive. The third common robber of joy is this, it's confusion. Now at the first Christmas, everybody, everybody's confused but the angels You know, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the innkeeper, the wise men, King Herod, all of Jerusalem, everyone's confused. Now, the wise men's confusion had to deal with what direction do we take? What direction are we going to go? The Bible tells us that they had come from the east. We don't know exactly where they were from, but they're following a star. They're uh, these wise men. 
magi, they're astronomers, and they see something going on, and they say, we better go find out what this is all about, and they just take off. They're following the light they've been given. And when they get to Jerusalem, they actually ask for directions. They said, where's the king of the Jews to be born? Here's the choice. When the wise men were confused, write this in, they chose to follow God's light one step at a time. One step at a time. They didn't have it all mapped out in front of them. It was one step at a time. They're coming from Persia or India or China. This is not a day trip. It's taken them months. They've got a caravan. They're investing time, money, and energy to find Jesus. What are you willing to invest to find Jesus? What are you willing to invest to know God? What are you willing to invest in time, money, and energy to know your creator? story of the wise men is here in Matthew 2, 1 through 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When these guys show up, it really upset King Herod because he's jealous. He says, you're looking for a king? I'm the king. Who are you? I'm, I'm the king. And it upsets him, upsets all of Jerusalem. Now, as your pastor, I, I want to tell you, if, if you genuinely, I'm going to give you the downside today of following Jesus. Okay, I'll give you the upside. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you there's a downside. And if you genuinely seek Jesus with your life, there will be people in your life who will not like it. They will not like it. If you genuinely seek Jesus, someone's not going to. There's just something about when I try to get close to God, when you try to get close to God, when someone tries to get close to God, it makes other people uncomfortable. Now here's how the story goes. Herod asks his Bible scholars, where is the king of the Jews, the Messiah that is supposed to be born? They said in Bethlehem, verse 8, King Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He's lying through his teeth. Herod's not going to go worship the new Messiah. He wants to go assassinate him. He doesn't want any competition. The reason we know he wasn't intending to worship Jesus is because when the wise men did find Jesus, God revealed to them in a dream that they were warned not to go back through Jerusalem, not to go back to Herod, and they went back another way. Herod sent his army to Bethlehem and had every baby under two killed. That's paranoid. Now Mary and Joseph had already been warned by God and they've already left uh, to take Jesus to Egypt. Jesus in his very early years was in Egypt because of this attack on him. These wise men, they, they, they don't give up their search until they finally find Jesus. And I hope you won't either. You know, some of you, you say, man, I went to church as a kid. Or I had this religious phase in my life, but you gave up too soon. You stopped halfway. You, you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And you, you learned a lot about who he is, and, and you've heard about who God is, but you stopped halfway. You didn't know him. You don't know him. 
The wise men didn't give up until they actually found Jesus. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, we saw what happens when people are overjoyed, people. They were overjoyed. You want to know what this means in the Greek? This means they were really, 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 really joyful. They were so excited. Here's what's amazing about this. God didn't give them a map. All he gave them was a guiding light. And they eventually end up where God wanted them to be. You want to know what the problem with us is? We want a map. Everybody wants a map with everything in it that's going to happen in their lives. We want a map with the day we were born, and there's the day we're going to die, and everything in between. God's never going to give you a map. You want to know why? Because if you saw everything that was going to happen in your life, it would scare you spitless. You can't handle the truth. You can't. Another reason that he's not going to give you a map is that if you had a map of everything that's going to happen, you wouldn't have to trust him. And if you don't have to trust him, you don't have to know him. He gives you something even better. He gives you a compass and a guiding light. What's a compass? A compass just says that way. It just points you in the direction. And then you get to discover all the surprises and experience all the life in between. It doesn't have a a trail. You don't know what's all between here and there. But you know the direction to go. You know, the, what, you know what the compass is in the Christian life? The compass is called the Bible. It's the word of God. It, it's not a map. There's maps in here, but there's no map of your life. There's no index in here that says, okay, jobs, J, J, jobs. Okay, go over here. Uh, job A, B, or C. No, it's not in here. But the closer you get to the word of God, the more you know the direction. God's word is a compass. You know what the guiding light is in your life? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who nudges you and says, yes, that, that is the way. That is the way. Walk in it. Stay true to it. You get a compass and a guiding light. Verse 11. On coming to the house, when they saw the child with his mother... His mother Mary, it says they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These three gifts actually having symbolism relating to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. His life, death, his resurrection, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Without those three things, there's no Christmas. Without those three things, there's no reason for the world to stop for 24 hours once a year to celebrate the birth of Jesus. The incarnation that he lived a perfect life that none of us could live. That he took that perfect life to to the crucifixion, the cross, where he was a perfect sacrifice and he took our sin he took your he took my sin and finished it on the cross and the resurrection that proved he is who he says he is he's proved he's god that he holds the keys 
to life, the keys of our future, the, he, the keys to death and the grave. That he, now he has eternity, our eternity in his hands. If Jesus doesn't nail those three things, there's no Christmas. But he did. And the wise men finally meet Jesus. Have you ever met Jesus? Have you ever met Jesus? I'm not just talking about knowing about him. Everybody knows about him. You say, well, yeah, I know a lot of things about Jesus. I've been coming to Christmas services my whole life. I went to this thing as a kid. So what? So what? You might say, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. So what? Even the devil believes that. You might say, well, now I'm confused. (laughs) Well, how do you know you've met Jesus? How do you know if you've ever met Jesus personally? Well, the two things that the wise men did will happen to you. When they finally personally encountered Jesus, the same two things that they did that happened to them will happen to you. First, it says they bowed down. And when you finally realize what God did for you in sending you a Savior, if it doesn't humble your heart, you didn't get it. If it doesn't cause you to bow your heart and actually physically bow before him and say, God, I see it. I get it. Thank you for your love for me. I couldn't save myself. I can't earn it. And you sent me a Savior. And I bow before you and I worship you. You may have gone to church your whole life, but it's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You know, these are magi. These are wise men. These are astronomers. These are deep thinkers. You see, bowing down isn't just for the more emotional people in life. Worship isn't just for the more expressive people in life. Joy isn't just for the heart types on the personality scale. These guys... They're deep thinkers, they're analyzers, they're astronomers, they're intellectuals. But they come to this point that say, I've met the king of kings and I bow down and I worship, I worship him. Why? Because he's the king. Why do we worship him? He's the king. He's the king of the universe. And some of you, you know everything there is to know about Jesus, but you've never humbled your life before him. And you've never worshiped him. The second thing these guys did is it says they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts. And when you really know Jesus, you want to give him the best you've got. So what do you get the guy who has everything for Christmas? What do you get the guy who has everything? You give him the one thing he doesn't have. You. You. And you come before him and you say, God, you gave me the best you got now I'm going to give you the best I've got I give you my life and I don't know everything that's going to happen between here and there and what all life is going to include but I'm trusting you and I'm accepting your plan for my life and I'm leaving these hurts and wounds and all these offensive words and this event and all this stuff, all the resentment, I'm leaving it here today. I'm leaving it in the past. And even though I don't understand it all, I'm going to follow you. And I give you my life. 
have you lost your joy this Christmas? You're not joyful this Christmas. You just want to get it over with. Maybe you just, you want it over. I, I was there this, this week. I had, I had a Christmas meltdown this week. Anyone else had a Christmas meltdown? Come on, don't leave me alone. Thank you, thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. <laughs> it was a lot of things. It all culminated in a stupid thing of trying to print this picture at the Kodak machine at Target for a Christmas gift. At the 50th minute of on the phone with customer service, I just leaned over that machine and said, I cannot wait for this week to be over. And Dave in South Carolina, God bless him if you're listening, (laughs) his joy just shifted something in me. I just realized I let it happen. I've let, I'm protecting all this stuff and I've let my joy be robbed from me. 2018 years ago, a man split history into before and after. And when the angel came, he announced this. He said, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, all people, all people. There's no sin that can exclude you from all people. There's nothing that you've done or hello that's been done to you that could exclude you from all people, all people. If you'll choose Jesus today, if you do like David did, you know, this Christmas, you need to pray what David prayed after he'd really messed up his life and committed some horrible, unthinkable sins. He comes back to God and he says in Psalm 51, 12, read it out loud, out loud with me. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. Restore the joy. And he'll do it. That's what saviors do. Let's bow our heads. And I want to invite you now to pray a prayer with me. And I'll tell you, it, it really doesn't, there's nothing special about this prayer. And it doesn't even really matter the words that you say. What matters is that your heart is humble before God. That you realize that there's no way you can save yourself. There's no way that you can save yourself. Just say this in your heart and mind is these words work for you, just say, yes, Lord, me too. God, I don't want to live a joyless life. I don't want to just exist. But I've let anxiety and resentment and confusion and a lot of things steal my joy. And I don't want to be sitting here next Christmas with all the same anxieties, all the same resentments, all the same confusion. And this Christmas, God, I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. And I don't even understand it all, but like Mary, I'm choosing to trust you and accept your plan for my life. Like Joseph, God, I need you to fill me with your grace so I can let go of all the pain that has hurt me. God, like those wise men, I want to follow the light that you've given me one step at a time. Through the compass that is your word, through the guiding light that is your Holy Spirit, And God, I thank you for the cross. And I believe that what was done to Jesus there could make a way where there was no way. And it could make me right with God today. 
And God, I realize I cannot save myself and I don't need another system. I don't need another religion. I don't need another to-do list. I don't need another rule. I need someone strong enough to save. I need a savior. Which is the whole reason you sent one. It's in his name I pray. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.